Hello, and welcome to Two Pews in a Pod. Join us as we explore faith in a modern world with the pastors of Evangelical Lutheran Church in Frederick, Maryland. Now here are your hosts, Pastor Paul Baglios and Pastor Ginger Bennett. I'm Paul Baglios. And I'm Ginger Bennett, and we'd love to welcome you again to another episode of Two Pews in a Pod. And this week we're going to, or we're going to be talking about prayer again, um, our fourth out of six episodes. And as we talk today, we're going to look at some action ways of praying. So praying can be a quiet, contemplative thing, as we talked about last time, but sometimes there are actual actions involved in prayer. So what do you think? Well, and you had mentioned in a previous episode the use of the rosary, Mm -hmm. which many people might associate with Roman Catholic practice, but the use of a rosary is popular for Christians of many traditions. Yes. Many Lutherans use the rosary. Yes. And it may well be that people listening to or watching this episode of our podcast are not familiar with it. Why don't you talk about what the rosary is and how it is used? Sure. So in um, a Lutheran tradition, very similar to a Catholic tradition, um, you have a strand of beads that are connected usually with a cross at the bottom. And... um, the uh, the idea of the prayer is uh, or praying with prayer beads of some sort is to as you touch each bead you say a different prayer and some folks just say a different prayer generally other folks go through particular prayers like praying of the Lord's prayer or. Um, for the Lutheran version, one of the big differences between us and what a Catholic um, may pray is um, while we do um, say the Hail Mary, we cut off the end. And it's considered the pre-Trent form of the Hail Mary. So, But it is just saying that acknowledging who she is and and uh, what uh, her role was, um, but we don't ask her to pray for us. Um, and, and there are other things, though. Uh, some may say the creed uh, as part of it. Some may, there's a variety of different things you can do, but it's def- the idea being that you work your way around each bead being a different prayer, and it is uh, to physically connect a physicality to prayer. And the beads become a, a discipline of counting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you, you move the beads along the strand that holds them together, right. counting your discipline of prayer, mm-hmm. not unlike the way a fitness routine might mm-hmm. involve doing a certain prescribed number of repetitions or right. reps. Mm-hmm. The use of, of a rosary makes use of those beads mm-hmm. to count repetitions of prayer, a discipline. Yeah, and some of the beads are different sizes, and so you know when you get to a particular size bead, it is a particular prayer that you've ascribed to that particular size beads. Some of them have, I have one that I really love at home um, that um, has where the, the circle part comes together, and then there's a long chain at the bottom with the cross on it. Um, but in that connecting point, you may see Mary in there, but in mine, it has a communion 
uh, cup with uh, the bread as well. And so it is to remind us of the Eucharist, which to me is a very, very important part of my faith. Well, and it's interesting, uh, you may well be aware, but I think many people are not, that the origin of the rosary um, comes from medieval Catholic practice. Mm -hmm. When the priest celebrating the Mass would, of course, recite the whole liturgy of the Mass in Latin. Right. And any of the local faithful who might be at the church for the Mass, because that was their parish church, often they would not be comprehending right. what they were hearing the voice of the priest saying. And the rosary developed as a way to give the people something to do mm -hmm. while they were attending the Mass. And part of that also is the, the, the altar being up against the wall. The priest's back would often be faced to the congregation so that also made it more difficult to hear. Um, and they would, of course, hear the bells chime when it was differing parts of the liturgy, and they would hear, you know, a few of the, they would see the host and, and, and the, the chalice raised at different times, but to understand was a harder thing. So yes. Um, it would be interesting to know how many members of ELC um, are familiar with the use of a rosary or have rosaries mm. that they use. Yeah. I know we have a number of members in this congregation who had previously in their lives been Roman Catholic uh, by practice, okay. and I'm guessing many of them have rosaries. Mm -hmm. I find it is a very um, helpful way if I feel scattered to pray with a rosary to help me um, keep that concentration to physically ground my prayer because often if I get moving too fast, um, I, um, I miss the, the meditative mm. quality. I miss the, the just being there in the moment. And so having something to hold on to and sort of to touch in my hand, um, I find very helpful. And, and I think in talking with other folks who, who appreciate praying the rosary, um, they talk about sort of like um, folks you may have seen having little fidgets um, with AD, people with ADD or whatever like to fidget with things. And so they talk about it also being helpful in that way, just sort of something to fidget with and to roll between their fingers as mm -hmm. they're praying. Mm -hmm. But there are different, other different types of prayers besides the rosary um, and um, that are also active. And one that I want to bring up, you mentioned in our last episode that you often think of words with prayer, which made me think about journaling because, mm -hmm. of course, there is a large focus on words when you're writing. Um, and uh, so have you ever tried the practice of journaling? As you might imagine, the answer is yes. And mostly <laughs> my trials have ended in failure. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I will mention the example of my wife, who for many, many years does journaling as mm. part of a daily prayer habit. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, uh -huh. there's, a, there's a journal that she keeps by a prayer book mm -hmm. that she likes to use very much and will often spend devotional time doing some journaling. Mm -hmm. One exception in my own practice that comes to mind, um, in a previous congregation that I served, 
I had a habit, and I would do this in the office at the church. I would get out the directory of the congregation. It was a pictorial directory. Mm -hmm. uh, many might remember those quaint things. Yes. Um, and fortunately, the one that we had was up to date, oh, so good. it was reliable. Right. And I would keep a practice of sitting with that directory mm -hmm. and a notebook. Mm-hmm. And each day, I would pray for some of the people or some of the households listed and pictured in the directory. And the way that I prayed for them was to write a prayer, Very just a simple nice. line or two of mm -hmm. petition on behalf of mm -hmm. the people for whom I was praying and pray my way through the through the membership directory. That's it's a lovely thing. I do like to use a membership directory to pray, and and partly because um, some folks come more often than others. So if I'm not careful, I may not pray as much for someone who actually may not be coming because uh, of a medical reason or something like that. But um, if I'm using a directory to help with my prayer, it it helps intentionally make sure that I see this name in front mm -hmm. of me. And then when I realize I haven't seen them for, you know, and hadn't heard from them, then I can reach out to them and say, you know, I was praying for you mm -hmm. today and I'm just curious how you're doing. And I think that's a lovely way to, um, to connect with folks. Well, and your comment, if we might take an aside and then come back to our topic, <laughs> Sure. Uh, when you say that you've said to people, I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. Think of how often we're asked to pray for mm -hmm. people and how easy it is for any of us to say things like, I'll keep you in my prayers, mm -hmm. or what has become almost a cruel cliche in our culture mm -hmm. right now. Whenever something hard happens, it's easy for any of us to say, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Mm -hmm. And... Early on, after I was ordained, realizing how often I would say to people, I will keep you in my prayers, mm -hmm. I realized I have to not just say it. <laughs> right. I, I have to do it. Right. And not to claim any sort of heroics on my part, but I've kept that intention for many, many years mm -hmm. that if I agree or offer to pray for mm -hmm. someone, I will, in fact, do that oh, yes. at some point in the day. I often will send myself a text. Now, that may sound silly. No. But I get this message from myself saying, pray for XYZ person. And it's a reminder. So as, uh, as I am preparing for prayer time, I often go and look to see if I have sent myself a text with someone's name or family member in that prayer um, <clears throat> list that I have connected. There are also apps that um, that one could download to help with prayer, and I have one called Pray As You Go, and um, that was my original intent with that particular app, was to put the names in there mm. and to continue to pray. And we had a, a group at seminary that was all using a similar thing for a while there. And um, I think whatever it is, and, and maybe it changes from time to time, is just to have a, a practice that in this season of your life works pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, I have not used the app in a while because I've been more focused on 
texting myself. <laughs> but I think it's a nice thing to have to remind me. Um, but do you leave notes to yourself or how do you remind I have yourself? done that. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to do that with pen and ink. No, oh, pen and ink. Um, uh -huh. But again, what you mentioned is worth elaborating in another comment or two that we live in a time when digitally through the internet, mm -hmm. many, many helpful resources, mm -hmm. prayer guides, prayer practices mm -hmm. um, are accessible to us online. Yeah. But I know we want to talk about one that's not accessible to us online, <laughs> <laughs> usually on the ground, yes. literally. Tell us about a labyrinth, what it's for and how it's used. I'll take notes. You'll take Paul, Paul is not as excited about the labyrinth as I am, and that's okay. We don't have to have the same prayer practices, which is wonderful. God works in different ways with different folks. But um, a prayer labyrinth is just that. It's a labyrinth. Uh, you may see one um, on the ground, or we were discussing before we started here, they make smaller ones that you can trace with your fingers. Um, but the idea is just to, to be mindful and to take in. So for me, a, a labyrinth, my spiritual director actually um, put one in behind her home. Um, which is lovely, uh, so that sometimes when I might go to her home for spiritual direction, um, we might take part in doing that as a way to center ourselves and to begin uh, a time of spiritual direction. But it is a time when you are aware of more than just where you are in the moment. But you think, for me, I think about the journey. Um, because as, as we were saying before we got onto the podcast today, Usually when we walk someplace, we go from point A to point B. There is a purpose to where we're going, and that's where our mind uh, takes us. Um, but for a labyrinth, it's actually not. Um, it's the journey that's the important part. Well, and as I understand it, it is to provide a meditative pathway of walking mm -hmm. so that we can reflect, we can pray as we are walking, but we are walking a pathway that is not um, quite so utilitarian. Right. It's not a pathway intended to get us from an origin to a destination right. as to take us on the way, right. to be on the way in prayer. Yeah, and I often will... <laughs> You'll see different types of labyrinths. Some some labyrinths you walk in and you get to the center and then you walk out a similar way to where you came. And then there are other labyrinths where you come in one way and you go out another side. Um, either way, a labyrinth works. Uh, the, the real important thing to me is that when I set time for myself in the beginning, I noticed that um, I am focused more on the mechanics of walking and and I really we have a practice here before staff meetings of sort of breathing in as we count to four and then breathing out as we count to four and I think for me that it's something like that it gives me some time to focus and to center myself so often on my way in I may be more purposeful walking but generally on the way out I finally reached the place of prayer where I feel um, that I'm in that moment and, and I'm able to think about the journey of life or whatever it is 
that is being uh, um, brought to my mind um, at, at that time. And so, so I would say for me, a, a prayer labyrinth um, is something that you know can't be rushed. You can't have too many people on a labyrinth at a time. We, I had an experience in seminary, which was a wonderful experience. It was um, a group of us got together and walked a prayer labyrinth, um, but we got a few too many people, and it felt a little bit more like a traffic jam than mm. a prayerful uh, place of of just being mindful and, and contemplative. Um, so I, I think that purposeful is what I would say. Mm purposefully walking and, and paying attention to the journey. Well, and another common action that accompanies prayer for many people, and, and we do it here in some ways, as we did last evening for evening prayer, mm -hmm. uh, people will often light candles yes. as an action that accompanies mm -hmm. prayer. Mm -hmm. um, and if anyone has ever been inside a Roman Catholic church, mm -hmm. You've probably seen um, a chapel space that is mm -hmm. filled with votive candles, mm -hmm. often in red containers. And people yeah. can light a candle accompanying the prayer that they have come into the chapel mm -hmm. to pray. Yeah, I think there are several traditions that use that type of, of prayer practice. And and it. I think there's something nice. We tend to do it around all saints. You might see it particularly in this congregation where we invite people to light a candle in memory um, and in prayer of someone. And I think it's a, it's a nice way to really think about and to physically, tangibly imagine a person along with, you know, this candle that we're lighting to connect our prayer to something physical. And as we see the fire burning, you know, there's lots of imagery of fire in the Bible that bring us into that. Uh, so I think it's a neat, a neat practice. Fire and light. Mm -hmm. um, the New Testament says in many places and in many ways, Jesus Christ is the light. And mm -hmm. sometimes in my own personal prayer, mm -hmm. I have stopped to first light a candle mm -hmm. um, as a way of reminding myself that my prayer is my participation in the in the promised presence of the light that yeah. is Christ. Yeah, no, I agree totally. And and so in um, differing practices, I know um, at times for me when I do Compline prayer at night or morning prayer, I might light a candle. You also might have a sweet aroma that mm. and that and and we have um, been started a practice here at this church, uh, um, uh, during All Saints at least, of um, thinking and talking about the how smell mm. connects us to prayerfulness as, um, and so so talk to us a little bit about, you, you know what I'm talking about, we, we got a new fun toy that uh, we get to enjoy as a prayerful uh, way to engage people through the sense of smell. Yeah, you're talking about the thurible. Mm -hmm. um, let me suggest that we pause in this episode and, <laughs> and take that up um, as a starting point in, in the episode next time. Okay. I'm right. Paul Baglios. And I'm Ginger Bennett. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Two Pews in a Pod. 
This has been Two Pews in a Pod, a podcast led by the pastors of Evangelical Lutheran Church in Frederick, Maryland. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.